Hey everybody, welcome to Your Move. I'm Andy Stanley. Do you know what the problem is with getting even? It makes you even. It makes you even with someone you don't even like. And that's not even a good idea. The good news is there is a better way forward. Stick around and we'll talk about it right here on Your Move. The golden rule, the golden rule. Familiar with the golden rule? The golden rule is great. The golden rule goes like this. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Yeah, we all kind of know that. In fact, for some of you, you, you have grew up with that. You didn't know that it was like a Bible thing, but yeah, it's like a Bible thing. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And the golden rule, the golden rule is great until you are mistreated by others. And once you're mistreated by others, or once I'm mistreated by others, then we want to change the golden rule into a different rule. The rule would go like this. Do unto others as others have done unto you, right? And in the moment when people have mistreated you or mistreated someone you love, but specifically when they've mistreated you, it actually feels right to treat them in like kind, right? It actually feels natural. There's something that just seems like it is the right thing to do. It is the just thing to do that when you've mistreated, you mistreat people the way they've mistreated you or you treat people the way that they've treated you. And then there's this very complicated thing that was almost impossible to see in the mirror. But if this is you, I promise you, somebody else can see this. See this. And that's when you've been mistreated by someone that you can't mistreat, so you mistreat someone else. Or you've been mistreated in an environment and you can't get back at that environment, so you find another environment where you can kind of get all powered up and mistreat people in a different environment. So that your anger or what's going on inside of you because of your mistreatment, it gets telegraphed, not back to the people or the environment where you've been mistreated, but you take it somewhere else and you mistreat other people and they look at you like, why are you treating me this way? Because the truth is when we feel powerless in one relationship or environment, we oftentimes compensate in another, right? I'll take it out on you because I can't take it out on him. I can't take it out on her. I can't take it out on them. So then we have this really weird dynamic where we do unto others as someone else has done unto you. And then things are so complicated, you can't ever get everything back in the box. Now, there's a, there's a problem with this whole approach to life, and you're very smart, so you, you understand this, and you probably know where we're going with this. The, the problem with getting back at people or paying people back in like kind, or to, to use the vernacular that we normally use, the problem with getting even, the problem with getting even is that it makes you even with someone you don't even like. Why would you want to be even with someone that you think you're better than? Because when you get even, you're acting like the person you don't like. I'm acting like the person I don't even like. And that brings us to our series on the life of David. In today's story, we pick up with David in his fugitive years, surrounded by his merry men, living off the land, trying to stay out of trouble, trying to stay away from the Philistines, but at the same time, not feeling welcome in his own country. And here's where the story begins. A certain man in Maon, who had property there in Carmel, was very wealthy. And he had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. And his name, his name in the South, we would say Nabal or Nabal, you know, with a kind of a nasally thing, but actually his name was Nabal. Story continues. And his wife's name, much easier, was Abigail. 
And she was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband, Nabal, was surly and mean in his dealings. In other words, he was actually heavy, he was harsh, he was a pain, he was just, nobody liked this guy. In fact, his name actually means fool, and as it turns out in this story, he was his name, he was a fool. Story continues. While David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up um, to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. He says, go to him and say, long life to you, good health to you and to your household and good health to all that is yours. Now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. David knew that. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So essentially what David was saying through the messengers that he sent was that basically if you have a prophet, part of the reason that you have a prophet is due to the protection of our men throughout the year. Because our men were you know, in the wilderness where your sheep were and your shepherds were, and at any point they could, they could have stolen sheep from you, but they didn't. So consequently there's a sense in which we kind of protected your shepherds and we didn't steal anything. He goes on, he says, ask your own servants and they will tell you. Therefore, would you be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time? And then he makes the ask, please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. In other words, since we were good to you, would you be good to us? Since we were kind to you, would you be kind to us. Since we didn't steal from you, would you be willing to share with us? Knowing that the whole time during this whole season, our men, or my men, David would say, could have taken anything they wanted, anytime they wanted, and there would be nothing you could do about it, but we chose not to. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's men, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. In other words, I know who you're talking about. I know who sent you, this David guy. I didn't ask for his help. I didn't ask for his protection and I don't owe him and I don't owe you anything. And he continues, why? Why should I take my bread and my water and the meat that I have slaughtered from my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? David's men turned around and they went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. At which point the soundtrack would change to something a little bit ominous. And David said to his men, strap on your sword. And they did. And David strapped on his as well. Now, fortunately, there are other characters in the story. The story continues. One of the servants, one of the servants, and this is one of the servants of Nabal, one of the servants of Nabal told Abigail, Nabal's wife, that David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, and he hurled insults at them. So this servant was there and saw what happened. Yet these men, were very good to us. And so now this servant of Abigail says, look, here, what, those, what the men of David said, it was absolutely true. These men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields where we were very vulnerable, the whole time we were out in the fields, nothing went missing. 
In fact, night and day, night and day, they were like a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. It's as if David sent his men to protect our herdsmen, to protect our herds, and to protect us from other robbers, from animals, or just, and the fact that they just didn't steal anything from us is quite amazing. And then the servant says to Abigail, now think it over and see what you can do <laughs> because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that nobody can talk to him. And then the text tells us that Abigail acted quickly. She took, the text tells us, all this detail is so fascinating. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five measures of roasted grain, which was like 60 pounds, um, 100 uh, cakes of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs and loaded them on donkeys with servants. And then she told those servants, go on ahead and I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal, smart woman. Story goes on. As, as she came riding, as she came riding her donkey into a, this is, and we got a picture of this, okay? So there's this ravine. Um, David and his men are snaking their way down into the ravine because they're going down into this fertile valley where the sheep shearing's going on, okay? As she came riding her, uh, her donkey uh, into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending toward her. So she sees this snake of his men and they are armored up and they are all ready to go and they are headed toward her village where all of this is taking place. And she got, she, and when she got there, she met them. Now, this next part is so rich. I mean, it is so rich. So I'm gonna kind of walk you through it slowly because this is the kind of thing that if you are reading uh, the Old Testament on your own, you may kind of zip through this quickly, but this is so rich, so follow this. When Abigail, Nabal's wife, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. Now, this is very strange. She is the wife of a wealthy man and she bows down to David, and this totally catches David off guard. And what she begins to do is she begins to treat David as if he is already the man that she hopes he will be. She begins to treat him as if, she, if he has already become the man that she hopes he will become. Now, ladies, you need to take note of this. This works on us even when we know you're doing it. Seriously, it's like, you know, I bet you could take that trash can out to the street with one arm. It's like, I, I know what you're doing, but I can, I can do that. You wanna watch, okay? It's just, it's in us. So Abigail, she's so smart. She, this is so powerful. And, and I'm not talking about manipulating. This is just a dynamic. And I'm telling you, she saved the day. She begins to speak to David's potential. She begins to look past what he's about to do and speaks to his future. And it is so, so powerful. And we get all this detail. So here, here's what happened. So she fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. She's not his servant, but she's being subservient. And again, I'm not saying there's a one-to-one -one correlation, ladies. Please don't say, well, Andy told us we're supposed to bow down in front. No, no, I'm not saying that, okay? This is a culture where this made sense. In our culture, this would just be weird, okay? But there's a parallel somewhere in our culture. So she, um, and hear what your servant has to say. And then she says this, please, please pay no attention to my Lord, that wicked man, my husband, Nabal. He, uh, Nabal, he is just like his name and his name means fool and folly goes with him. So let's just pretend like he doesn't exist for a minute. And now my Lord, 
As surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you. This is like a Jedi mind trick right here. Watch what she does. This is amazing. Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, you're not going to do what you're planning to do. You're not going to do. Since the Lord has already stopped you from this horrible thing, and she's looking at all these guys, and they're, they're kind of chomping at the bits, ready to, you know, to, to do some slaughter. They're all worked up. She's like, since the Lord has kept you from doing this horrible thing. And then she says, may your enemies, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And then she gives him credit for being a better man than he actually is. This is so powerful. Please, she says, please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. And she speaks to his future. David, God is up to something great in you. God has a plan for your life. God has a future for you. And here's why. Because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. You're not a wrongdoer, you're a good man. And then she says this, even though, because she knows Saul is trying to find him, everybody knows Saul is looking for David. Even though, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, King Saul, the life of my Lord, and then she uses this, this imagery, I'll explain after I read it, this is very powerful. She says, um, even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely. The life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. You're like, what in the world is she talking about? This is so powerful. She is, there, this is the language that's used for a wallet or a purse, where you take something valuable, generally money, and you would put it in this wallet or purse and you would wrap cords around it to make sure it's secure and then you would tuck it in your belt. So she uses this, so Abigail uses this incredible imagery. David, your life is so secure. It is bound up and hidden in, a, in God's wallet. It's like it's tucked way down in a purse. No one can take your life from you. You have been safe and God is saving you for something very specific. But, she says, but the lives of your enemies. Now, this is so brilliant. This is the kind of thing you read by too quickly when you read on your own. Now, she takes David back to that moment when he was 15 years old, facing Goliath. Look at the imagery. But the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. It's like, oh, now he's back and it's all about the sling and the slingshot. And all of a sudden he's back in that moment when he was completely dependent on God, when he wasn't having to take matters into his own hands. And now she speaks to his future. And essentially in this next section, this is so powerful. Maybe for some of you, this is, this is the point of the message. In this next section, she asked the question, what story do you wanna tell when this is nothing but a story that you tell? David, what story do you wanna tell when this is nothing but a story that you tell? David, when you're looking back at this incident and this is nothing but a story that you tell, what story do you want to tell about this moment in time? And here's what she says. When, because it's gonna happen. When the Lord is fulfilled for my Lord, every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel. In other words, one day when you are the king, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. I mean, she, I mean, he's just melting. She goes on and on, he's just melting. It's like, David, one day this is nothing but a story that you tell. And what you do in this moment is gonna be a permanent part of that story. And I'm believing that you're gonna change your mind because you don't wanna tell a story of needless bloodshed, do you? Wow. And suddenly David comes to his senses. 
his emotional temperature starts to drop and he sees things in a brand new way. And David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel who has sent you today to meet me. I have been saved by this woman, this intelligent woman. May you, she, he says to her, may you be blessed for your good judgment. You had good judgment, I didn't, and you didn't keep it to yourself. And sending all that food down here before you got here, that was so smart. Bowing down before me just threw me totally off guard. I did not know what to do. And then I was putty in your hands and now I see the way you see. Praise be to God for sending you at such a time as this, for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. He knew better. And then David, then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, go home in peace. I have heard your words and I've granted your request. I'm not going to destroy your husband and I'm not going to destroy your household. Now, Abigail, she's so smart. Look what happens next. Do you want to you know what happens next? The next part is amazing. When Abigail went to Nabal, she went back home. He was in a house holding a banquet like that of a king. So he's living like the king. The king's living in the wilderness. Like that of a king, he was in high spirits and very drunk. So she gets back and he's just having this big party and he's so drunk and she thinks, this probably isn't a good time to tell him what just happened. So she told him nothing at all until daybreak. So she waits till he's sober. Then in the morning, and then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And then David sent word asking Abigail to become his wife. It's in the text. And Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants went with David's messengers and became his wife and they lived happily ever after the end. Okay. Isn't that great? I made up, of course, the last part. That's not in there, the happily ever after part. The rest of it is, he married her. So in summary, here's what we have, right? We have three characters, we have three responses, right? We have three characters, three, three, three responses, but only one hero, okay? Nabal, what does he do? He returns evil for good, because David took care of his stuff and he said, hey, I'm not gonna share with you. Um, David was again about to return evil for evil, which makes sense. I mean, you know, especially in this day and age in which they live. But Abigail sees things in a completely different way and through her lens and with her unique perspective, essentially she returns good for evil. Now, again, Nabal, maniacal, nobody wants to be like him, right? David, predictable. I mean, this is just kind of what we do. But when you read this story, well, the one thing you can't miss is that Abigail, she's remarkable. And her response is remarkable. And her judgment is remarkable. And her approach is remarkable. I mean, the whole story, she's just remarkable. And there's a sense in which she is way, way, way ahead of her time. You see, during this, this time in history, the nation of Israel was in a covenant with God. We call it the Old Covenant. It's contained in the Old Testament. That's where we get the Old Covenant, Old Covenant, Old Testament. And in the Old Covenant, returning evil for evil was actually okay. 
I mean, it was eye for an eye, it was tooth for a tooth. I mean, you read the Old Testament law. David's response, I mean, we think it's a bit barbaric and a bit over the top, but, it, but you know, his men weren't like, now David, I don't know, I think you're overreacting. They're like, heck yeah, let's put on our swords and go have some fun. That, that was just the world they lived in. Abigail is so, she's way ahead of her time because the new covenant, the New Testament, when Jesus showed up, turned all of that upside down. In fact, here's something kind of cool. Peter. Peter, the apostle Peter, who saw Jesus unjustly arrested, unjustly crucified. Jesus, Peter, who saw you know, Jesus who was innocent and sinless, treated like, just treated horribly and saw Jesus' response. Peter, who saw all of that, wrote these words to Christians in the first century who were being unjustly treated. And he doesn't go all David on us. He goes all Jesus on us and he says this. Here's what he wrote. He said, do not repay evil with evil. But that's natural, I know. He says, but don't repay evil for evil. I know, but look what they did. I know, but don't repay evil for evil. But they deserve it. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing or good. Repay evil, in other words, whenever you are mistreated, you don't just ignore it and go neutral. You go positive and go blessing. This is what Peter taught. This is what Abigail did. This is that unusual thing. Repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. In other words, if you're a Christian, Peter's saying, hey, this is what we're called to. We knew we were gonna be mistreated. Come on, they crucified our leader. What did you expect? How did you expect to be treated? He would say to Christians in the first century. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. And then David Wright wrote this that Peter quotes a thousand years later. And they, they must turn from evil and they must do good and they must seek peace and pursue it. And Peter is writing this to Christians who are being mistreated specifically because of their faith. And where did Peter get this crazy idea? Don't return you know, evil for evil, but return good for evil and you know, respond to evil with a blessing. Where did he get this? He got it from Jesus. He got it from watching Jesus. And he was there that day that Jesus made this famous statement that most of us have heard a thousand times and can finish the sentence for Jesus. When Jesus stood and said, you have heard it said that, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, and then Jesus turns everything completely upside down. You have heard it said, you know, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Where did you hear hate your enemy? Well, essentially that was the old covenant. That was the world David lived in. And Jesus says, but I've come to turn all of that upside down. You do not return evil for evil. Refusing to respond in like kind, if you're a Christian, refusing to respond in like kind might be the most Christ-like, or I could say incarnational thing that you ever do. Respond, refusing to respond in like kind might be the most Christ-like, or to use a big theological term, the most incarnational thing you ever do as a Christian. So in closing, three questions. Two of these are for everybody. And one of these is specifically for those of you who would say, that you're a Christian. And then we'll wrap this up. First question is this. Do I really want to be even with someone I don't even like? No, you don't, right? To get even with someone you don't like is to be like someone you don't like. Do you wanna be like someone you don't like? No, then why would you do what they do? Even is easy, right? Wouldn't it be better instead of being even to be ahead? And do you know how you pull ahead? You pull ahead by refusing to get even. Second question, this is a big one. What story do you wanna tell? 
This is the question we should all ask. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or a religious person, you should ask this question at every juncture because every event in your life just becomes a part of the story of your life. Every season of life is just a, is just, it just becomes a part of your life. It's just a story that you're gonna tell. Everything becomes a story that we tell. What stories, you think about how you're being mistreated or what's being done to you or being said about you, what story do you wanna tell when this is nothing other than a story that you tell? Do you really want your story to be, and I got even? I became just like the people I didn't even like? Okay, that's predictable, but it's so unremarkable. And then here's the third question, and everybody can play, but if you're a Christian, okay, we don't really get options on this. If we're Christ followers, this is, this is basic. This is 101. This is Jesus 101. This is, I've decided to follow Jesus. This is part of the deal. What would it look like? What would it look like for you or for me to return good for evil? When you think about him, you think about her, you think about them. When you think about your ex, when you think about an ex-employer, when you think about what your son or daughter has done, your grown son or daughter, your prodigal son or daughter, when you think about your parents, when you think about your dad, when you think about that neighbor, what, what would it look like in that specific incident, in that specific context, in that specific relationship? What would it look like to return good for evil? To use Peter's word, what would it look like for you to be a blessing to someone who's hurt you or offended you? Not just, not just do nothing, I'm just gonna ignore them, but to be proactive and to actually do something. To do nothing, that's mercy. Here's what you deserve, I'm not gonna give you what you deserve, that's mercy. But to actually do something they don't deserve, that's grace. And if you're a Christian, this is how our story intersects with the story of salvation. This is our best opportunity to be like our Father, in heaven. Again, it's how our story intersects. It's how our story intersects with the greatest story ever told. And the greatest story ever told is God returning good for evil. God giving his son for our sin. That's the gospel. And if you're a Christian, that's your story. Here's the thing, and I'm done. Generosity and compassion, that's kind of American now, isn't it? Everybody's generous, everybody knows they need to be compassionate, and I think that's a good thing, that's a Christian thing. That's a leftover of a Christian culture that's still a part of our culture. I'm all for generosity and compassion. But that's a little bit, in some ways, that's expected. But this, returning good for evil, that's not expected. That takes you from predictable to remarkable. That sets you apart. And ultimately for somebody, that is the thing that will set you free. Because until you return good for evil, the person that has mistreated you controls you. And here's how you know, because you're like David on his donkey, headed down to that ravine, just rehearsing all the stuff you're gonna do, all the stuff you'd like to do, all the stuff you're gonna just lay in wait and do later, all the ways that you'd like to get them back. And if you can find somebody who will listen to your sad story, you keep telling your sad story. And when they say, well, you oughta, you oughta, you oughta, you just put that on now. One day I'm gonna list, right? And the only way to get free oftentimes is to proactively do for someone exactly what they do not deserve for you to do, just like your Father in heaven. So, 
Here's what David would tell us. Here's what Abigail would tell us for sure. Don't settle for even. Even is easy. And, and don't settle for predictable. And don't write a predictable story. Make it remarkable. Because at some point, this is nothing other than a story that you tell. In other words, do precisely for others what they don't deserve. And when you do, you're like your father in heaven. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Your Move podcast and be sure to check out our website where you'll find your next step, including resources like our free conversation starters based on today's episode. You can access those by simply clicking on the link in our show notes. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next time and we will continue to explore how to make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. Thanks for listening.